0: A new professional women's soccer league is coming to the U.S. in the fall of 2024 that could rival the NWSL. It's Friday, June 30th. I'm newsletter co-author Eric Fisher, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The seemingly inevitable divorce between Bally Sports parent Diamond Sports Group and the Arizona Diamondbacks has taken a sudden turn as the company adjourned a bankruptcy court hearing originally scheduled for Thursday to a new date of July 17. And the team and DSG jointly said there are, quote, ongoing and positive discussions toward a solution suggesting a revised rights deal may be at hand. Here to help break down the twists and turns is fellow newsletter co-author David Rumsey. And David, uh, this is an unusual situation. We've been sort of headed down a a seemingly straight line that uh, DSG had already cut the Padres loose. They had had this emergency uh, filing that they had called the Diamondbacks deal. Uh, unprofitable burdensome unnecessary you know a lot of invective language there and now just a few days later we've we've kind of swung the other way and it suggests that we may be uh, heading towards a revised deal here
1: it's a confusing situation i mean rsn's might not be dead after all it appears it's really it's really interesting to follow you've been all over it eric what do you think is coming next
0: well, the interesting situation here is that they, to your point, they've kind of come to the Diamondbacks have come to the conclusion that sort of the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't know here that even though uh, MLB has done a good job standing up the Padres games and there has been some positive early numbers that uh, they've uh, in that situation actually gotten a bigger audience than what had been seen on Valley sports out there at the start of the season. uh and they were also backstopping uh, the Padres to a certain degree from a financial perspective, uh, This disappears uh, in the case of Arizona to have a little bit more of a both a cost certainty and a distribution certainty by sticking again with the devil you know, and in that case, Bally uh, Sports and Diamond Sports Group here. So it's it's a fascinating situation here because there's going to be a whole ripple uh, effect here because uh, we've got Cleveland, Minnesota, Cincinnati, a number of these teams that are also coming due in the coming days and weeks of having rights fees that are also due from dsg and so this situation that we're talking about here may play out yet again in other markets
1: right and the reality is if those teams can get a rights fee payment from the rsn that they've been working with that's going to be much higher than what they're able to get streaming their games on their own so even if that's where we're going in the future of this kind of dismantled free-for-all model Right now, I think the teams want to collect as many payments as they can, right? No doubt, because those player
0: salaries are still locked in and, and fully guaranteed, uh, regardless of what's happening on the revenue side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just saw Steve Cohen yesterday say, uh, you know, he's going to dismantle the Mets, uh, even if uh, th- though they have the highest payroll in the league
0: yeah that's that's another fascinating situation there that you know the the best team supposedly the money can't could buy uh not buying very much here and that uh, team well out of a playoff spot here but I, I want to uh pivot a little bit here and talk about a team that you've been uh, tracking a fair amount here, the Chicago Blackhawks. This is an original six NHL team that was uh, down and sort of not among the the league's best for a long period of time, and then they had a fabulous run at the beginning of the 2010s, three cups and six seasons, and then sort of t- took another downturn again, uh, out of the playoffs a number of years, uh, a pretty unfortunate sexual assault scandal within the organization, uh, but now the number one pick in the draft, Con- Connor Bedard is a Blackhawk here, and uh, uh, brighter days uh, again are headed to Chicago.
1: Right. And it started immediately after they won the NHL draft lottery with what, 11% chance or something like that to get that first pick. They got it. The season ticket sales spiked immediately. Um, I believe they had a, a bottom five attendance number last year, only filling up 80 something percent of United Center on, on average. You know, I would expect that to increase by a lot going into next year once uh, Connor Bedard hits the ice, which he's expected to do from uh, opening night. So Chicago fans will probably be lining up to go get a peek at him and see if he can turn around that team. And the interesting thing is the
0: Blackhawks are also one of those teams that have what I would sort of consider to be a distributed fan base, that there are a lot of uh, expats from Chicago or just snowbirds in these other markets. And when you go to places like a Phoenix, uh, like a Florida, some of these other places that those home games for the Coyotes, Panthers, Lightning, what have you, in some respects can become sort of quasi home games for the Blackhawks because of those traveling or relocated uh, Chicago fans.
1: Right. It's a great market and a great fan base, but there's a lot of options there. So if if you're not performing on on the ice or field or court, whatever sport you are, the fans have shown, you know, they're not going to come support you if you're not giving everything that you've got. I mean, you have Cubs, White Sox, Bears, Bulls, Fire. It's not just the Blackhawks there. So beyond those core passionate hockey fans. They got to produce something on the ice to really gain some interest and i think Connor bedard will absolutely do that
0: yeah it's a great point it's very much like new york and some of these other big markets in terms of very much what have you done for me lately well what the blackhawks have done lately has gotten uh, one of the best prospects to come into the sport for uh in quite some time and something that we're going to be continuing to track here and thanks for coming on david yeah absolutely Coming up, we have an interview with Amanda Vandervoort, the president of the USL Super League. Senior writer Owen Poindexter talked with Vandervoort about how she expects this new league will operate, the challenges of creating a brand new league that is financially sustainable, and how it all fits into the world of U.S. soccer. We'll have that conversation up next.
2: I'm joined now by Amanda VanderVort, president of the USL Super League. Welcome, Amanda.
3: Yeah, thanks, Owen. Great to be here.
2: So just to get us started here, start as basic as we can, what is the USL Super League?
3: The USL Super League is professional women's soccer coming to the United States in the fall of 2024. We announced our uh, initial eight of our initial markets, plus five that'll be coming online as soon as um, their stadium projects uh, are completed. So in in total, we've announced 13 clubs with more to come in the next couple months.
2: And you are seeking division one status. Um, So Mm -hmm. first of all, what does that mean?
3: Well, Division One status means we will be adhering to the highest standards in in American soccer for for the Super League, and you know our commitment to that through our ownership groups, through uh, the league itself, um, is something that we're really proud of, and and we're really excited to to get going at, at the Division One level.
2: And you know, assuming you get that, that will put you on par with the NWSL, which will you know create. An interesting situation, at least for people in my shoes, uh, just because we're not used to having two leagues at the top level in almost any sport that that I can think of offhand. Um, how is that going to work exactly?
3: Well, we're really focused on the USL Super League and what we're building. Um, that's that's unique and special to us. So there's a couple a couple points I'll make about the Super League. First, we're playing on the international match calendar, so our season actually kicks off the end of August and runs through until june the following year so it'll be a twenty four twenty five season actually our inaugural yeah. our inaugural year so um that's that's an important i think point about the usl super league and and what makes us unique different and special um you know and and from the 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 scheduling to um the way our kind of league is structured overall. There's just a lot of differences. And and we're really proud and focused, again, on what we're building.
2: And looking at your initial markets, you'd see some major population centers with already with multiple professional teams like Phoenix and Dallas. There are also some more mid-sized spots that you don't have as much of a traditional sports presence like Lexington, Kentucky, Spokane, Washington. So you've got the whole country to work with. How do you pick your spots?
3: Yeah, well, uh, we're working hand in hand with our ownership groups across the USL. Um, One of the things that I think we really benefit from is the infrastructure that the USL has already. So, yeah, you look at a club, um, you know, in in these bigger markets, but also the small markets, have the infrastructure, the experience, and quite honestly, the fan bases who just haven't had access to women's professional soccer before. We believe we're solving for an opportunity gap. In the women's game and right now there's only 12 next year 14 professional women's soccer uh, teams and so even in our first year effectively we'll be doubling that number and bringing professional women's soccer closer to home for more communities more cities more coaches more players more fans um, than i've ever had it before
2: so you're launching this league what do you see as your major revenue sources and how do you make it financially sustainable
3: Yeah, we are really focused on immediate viability and long-term sustainability. So when we talk about revenue sources, you're looking at things like, of course, ticketing. You're looking at sponsorship. um, You're looking at... um, uh, media and and yeah, traditional sources that we talk about in sports all the time of of revenue. I think the exciting thing right now is where we are in the women's sports industry and the incredible interest in investment in women's sports across the board right now is 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 super exciting and it's on the rise and we're excited to be part of building the future of women's professional soccer and the and be, being part of that um, professional sporting landscape that that we're seeing um, the ROI today. And we expect to see that long into the future.
2: I'm thinking mostly about the media end, but there might be other parts of this too that you can throw in because you're starting from scratch and you don't have, you know, a hundred years of history or any years of history. Uh, what are some of the opportunities you see to be a little different and, uh, you know, introduce yourself to a brand new audience?
3: Yeah. I mean the, the USL super league, I I mentioned it before about the international match calendar. I do really think that, that, Giving players the opportunity to play more of their games um, in market during the competitive season, and then have the option to play in the Olympics or the World Cup in those summer windows, plus have a winter break, uh, is going to offer them a unique opportunity where they don't have such a club and country conflict throughout the year. And for us, that was really important not only to build that for the players, but also so that the fans have the opportunity to to see their players throughout the year um, in a you know a. a, a cons- a consecutive basis so um you know those those kind of differences those kind of things are important to us in in building the league i do think the history of the usl though is something that we take great pride in our organization um you know on the men's side has built youth to pro pathways across our championship our our league one our academy system our youth soccer and so as much as we we, we haven't had um, women's professional soccer historically we have had um men's professional soccer and the W-League and Academy girls have both launched in the last two weeks to great success. So um, those, the, the, the pathway model that we're building from youth to pro on the women's is something um, that that we're we feel very strongly about, creating those opportunities for players, matching, ultimately matching talent with opportunity at whatever stage in development that that they're at.
2: And yeah, speaking of the USL championship, which is the division two men's league in the USL system, um, is there any cross pollination there? I know I'm in the Bay Area and the Oakland Roots and the Oakland Soul are owned by the same group. Um, Is there any? Yeah. are, Are teams working together like that or are they basically just two separate leagues?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, yes, for all intents and purposes, they're two separate leagues like the women you know, the Super League will will be independent from, from the championship and, and League One, but I think it's a great value that let's take, you know, the ownership group in, in Oakland and and the community they, they've built around the Oakland roots and you bring an ownership group who knows the USL, who knows that community and that fan base and can deliver women's soccer, both the W League which they have today and the Super League in the future, they can deliver that in, in a really professional manner and one that represents the city of Oakland in such an authentic way, um, I think is a, is a great benefit. And so, you know, we've, we've, we've got those examples uh, across the country and I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's quite an opportunity actually to have that foundation and then build upon it.
2: Yeah. And just, I've been to to one Oakland roots game, which is the men's team is a lot of fun and yeah, just very authentically Oakland. Um, and people really embrace the roots. You see like roots hats and shirts all over the place. Same with the soul. People are super excited to have them. So it is a cool opportunity to, um, you know, give, give these areas, Teams that you know feel very ground up, um, as in in, yeah, from you know just coming out of the community and with an opportunity to represent that community in 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 their own ways. Do you see that uh, with other other groups, other teams?
3: Yeah, for sure. In in the USL um, on the men's side, but I'll speak to the women's side just for, for a minute. If you look at our W League, which launched last year with 44 teams, we're at 65 this year and we expect to be well over 80 next year. Um, as we evolve into additional divisions in the W League, um, yeah, we're seeing great success. I think Minnesota Aurora is a great example of a club that's really embraced that local community um, and really built a club, um, you know, led by women um, in, in in Minneapolis, Saint Paul. You've got Detroit City uh, is doing amazing things in in their market in the W League. They had, I think, their opener. They had forty seven over forty seven, almost. 5,4700 5, almost 5,000 people at their game of course the the Oakland Soul you we're just seeing like this wave of interest and passion for for women's soccer and and I think we're seeing it come through today in the W League because that's a property we have but we also see that as a proof of concept for the future and building these really community based clubs and the interest and excitement around women's around women's soccer right now
2: and just because you mentioned the w league a couple times what is it and how do you have you know approaching 80 teams
3: yes the w league is pre-professional so um that's uh it's it runs our our w league season runs from may until the end of july and it's um basically all the players in the w league are amateur status but we run it we call it pre-professional basically we run this league at with professional standards, our league office here of a hundred people, you know, supports the W league, but all the players are, are, um, have amateur status. So they can go back and play in the NCAA. A lot of them are top collegiate players across the country that want a place to train, improve, um, and, um, you know, and participate in the summer months. So this is a high, high standard for, um, a lot of those collegiate players when they can't train in their collegiate environments in the summertime.
2: And just to wrap us up here, What's the thing you're most excited about? I mean, obviously the league launching has to be top of the list, but just as you're sort of foreseeing this thing get established and evolve, what are you most looking forward to?
3: I just love soccer. I love I love women's soccer. I'm excited to see our fans um, across the country have the access and opportunity to be part of this amazing game. And I hope that it sparks and inspires more people to, to take advantage of the opportunities that soccer provides. I mean, soccer was, for me, it, it was such an opportunity, not only for personal growth and development, but now here I am, you know, running a, a a professional women's soccer league. And, and I hope that there's girls and women out there who see that, that this is possible for their futures and, and that the super league, um, and everything that, that we're doing here at the USL is, is, um, you know, uh, uh offers them a, a vision of, of what, what, you know, can, can become in the future.
2: All right. Amanda Vandervoort, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. That's all for today. Thanks again to Amanda Vandervoort
0: for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We'll be back Wednesday, July 5th and have a great weekend.